All right, welcome to the Football Outsiders live stream for Thursday, July 21st, 2022. I'm Aaron Schatz, Editor-in-Chief of Football Outsiders. We'd like to welcome everybody watching right now on YouTube Live and Twitch, listening afterwards on the Football Outsiders podcast network. Uh, it's time for another Football Outsiders Almanac 2022 preview, and we're going to talk today about the New England Patriots and the New York Jets. Before we get to that, we should hit briefly on the big news of the day, which is Kyler Murray's new five-year, $230.5 million extension with the Arizona Cardinals, uh, which is $500,000 more than what Deshaun Watson got in total money. Uh, yay for $500,000. But it is actually a lot less in guaranteed money, which probably has something to do with how escrow works for the owners of the Cardinals. And um, I mean, I think Kyler Murray is not the best quarterback in the league, but I think he's definitely a guy you win because of. And when those guys come up for new contracts, you sign them to new contracts, even though it costs a ton of money. So I think it was a good decision by the Cardinals, and now that's going to lead to Lamar Jackson getting paid even more than this, and then eventually Joe Burrow getting paid even more than that. And I don't know, Kale, do you have thoughts about the Kyler Murray contract? Yeah, I understand he might not be a top 10 guy right now, but considering kind of the carousel of quarterbacks that the Cardinals had going before this, you know, Carson Palmers don't fall into your lap every day, and I get there's also some issues with some of the second half struggles, but I also think that's a bit more systemic. And I think that probably falls a little bit more on cliff shoulders and Kyler's, but all in all, I like the deal. I think you kind of have to do it if you're in the Cardinals position and, you know, the quarterback number just keeps going up and to the right. We'll see. Uh, we'll see what this next crop of, you know, Burroughs and Herberts end up getting. Cause soon enough, we're going to cross just a 50 mil threshold consistently. And it's, you know, money's going to balloon from there. <laughs> Yeah, Brian Knowles points out that the September-October Kyler Murray was fantastic. He really was. He was really good in the first part of last season and then fell off. Part of that is this whole weird Cardinals thing where they fall off in the second half of every season. Part of that was DeAndre Hopkins getting injured. He won't have DeAndre Hopkins for the first six games this year, which is why our projections on him are down a bit. But, um, I mean, I think he's, he's a guy you've got to pay, and so they paid him. I don't know. It's not a team you cover, Greg. So I don't know if you have any particular thoughts about Kyler Murray here. Well, you know, I do. I mean, a couple of things. Um, I think you guys are right. I mean, I think that that they've invested a lot in him and you kind of they've gone down this road, um, you know, including as soon as, you know, you know, they they just jettisoned Rosen after one year and and went with Murray and, and basically changed head coaches. So they're all in on him. So they had to pay him. Um Kyler Murray, I think, is a, you know, he's a fantastic talent. Um, but my big issue with with Murray is that he fades. I mean, when you get players his size over the course of now 17 games, you know, and, and the amount that he does inside the pocket, outside the pocket, uh, you know, he wears down. It's I don't think it's just a Cardinals thing. Uh, even though part of it is part of its roster construction where they've had some older players and they haven't gotten any younger at the offensive skill position, uh, you know, players in, in recent years. And so that's always an issue, you know, for them. But I think part of it is Murray. He just it's hard for him. Yeah, he might have started 
just about every game, I think, last year. But he wasn't healthy the second half of the season. You know, yeah, L- he, uh, shoulder he missed stuff. three injury. He missed three with injury, and then he yeah. was a little injured when he came back. Yeah. Yeah, and when he came back, he wasn't the same. And that's that's what he's going to have to prove that he can overcome. He's going to have to play smarter every single year. Uh, Cliff's going to have to do a better job designing the offense around him to keep him healthy, to make sure he makes 17 starts. Because uh, until that happens, the Cardinals are going to underachieve. And But I do think that they had to pay him. I do think it's a little bit more digestible that it's an extension. So it's really, you know, seven years and, and you know, so many odd million. The average, you know, averages out where it's not obscene. So uh, I think all those things sort of fold into this is something they had to do. And, uh, you know, we'll we'll see if he's worth it. And we know where the cap is going. This contract is 2024 yeah. to 2028, and the cap is going to be up in 2024 yep. to 2028. So, I mean, by the time we do Lamar Jackson and Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert, this is not going to look ridiculous. This is going to completely make sense. But now they have to solve the second half thing, which is could be partly Murray's size, could be partly age of players. Definitely is partly Cliff Kingsbury because he had the same problem at Texas Tech that he's had with the Cardinals, and it's just – a strange pattern that seems to take place every year. Uh, Question of the day. We're going to start by talking about the New England Patriots. And the question of the day for the audience is whether going to the Patriots can resuscitate Devontae Parker's career and make him a top NFL wide receiver again. And I'm going to start by posing that question to you guys. What do you think about Devontae Parker on the Patriots? And does he become like a fantasy force again? Is he going to be a huge part of their offense? Or is he going to be more just like one guy among a number of guys? Well, I mean, I, I guess I'll start, Kale. But, I, you know, I think that really the ultimate question with Parker is, can he stay on the field? I mean, you know, if, if he can't, and that's been a humongous problem for him, it's why the Dolphins have been, you know, trying to replace him for two years and made wholesale changes and invested a lot. Uh, you know, that's the issue with him. And, um, you know, there are a lot of questions about that, about whether he can he can hold up. I think if he's healthy and on the field, I think he's the type of receiver that Mac Jones would really like. Um, you know, he, he contested catches, um, you know, which you guys note in your catch uh, in your chapter on the Patriots, um, you know, really good for the amount that he's played. Big body. Mac's the type of guy who, you know, you give him. You give him a few angles, and it's something he's never really had because Nikhil Harry didn't work out. But, you know, he's able to, with work um, in practice with Parker, he's going to be able to throw a lot of back shoulders up in the air. He's going to, Mac's going to know where to target, you know, Devontae Parker. And I think they are going to make a good duo. It's just a question of can he answer the bell week in and week out? And, you know, that's a big question with him. Yeah, I agree with you, Greg. I think just being able to stay on the field is paramount to success for Parker just because it seems like there's so many mouths to feed in New England. I think at one point in the book I described the uh, the entire wide receiver cola, sort of a proverbial wide receiver Voltron, where they all kind of amass to something bigger than the sum of their parts because they can all do one thing really well. Jacoby Myers did break out as a vertical threat last year, but I think he really thrives best as sort of an intermediate short passing game over the middle guy. Uh, Nelson Aguilar is a vertical threat. Kendrick Bourne is sort of a do-it-all gadget guy. 
And like we pointed out, Parker kind of fits right into that contested catch role. And I think he can have the potential to, you know, really link up with Mac Jones. But, you know, Jones already developed a really strong rapport with Meyer, just continually going back to him in crucial situations on third down. We've also got two additional tight ends, Hunter Henry. He seemed to really like him, in the, or Jones seemed to really like him in the red zone. They're yep. still working on integrating Johnny Smith into the mix, and then you bring in passing backs. All of a sudden, you can rattle off, you know, 10 guys that can end up roster, you know, notching, you know, 20, 30 catches in this offense, depending on how much New England decides to spread a ball around. I also think offense in general is just kind of a big question mark because we still really don't know what they're running. Uh, we don't even know who's calling plays. We've heard some rumblings of new systems, new terminologies from Kendrick Bourne. It'll just be interesting. I, I'm very optimistic. I think he can have a resurgence, and I do agree, though. It all just kind of comes down to can he stay on the field to even begin to make that impact in the first place? Yeah, I feel like the chapter really goes into like a big question on each side of the ball for the Patriots. And on the offensive side, it really is like who's the coordinator and and are they is it the same offense that they ran last year? Are they doing different things? Like who's calling the plays? There's just a lot of questions about that. Yeah, I mean, we'll I mean, see. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that um that's one of that's probably the biggest question is what the heck are they going to look like on offense? And if they are changing systems, did they just ruin, you know, a, 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 de- a pretty decent rookie season for Mac Jones? And are they going to have to reteach him? You know, you think, you, you know, Josh McDaniels leaving and not having an heir apparent sort of an understudy like, you know, we've seen in Buffalo, Brian Dayball leaves, but then you have Ken Dorsey there waiting in the wings. You have Joe Brady you know, there to tutor Jer- uh, Josh Allen. I mean, it's it's about as good as a situation you can have. And then you look at the Patriots, and they're going with Joe Judge as a quarterback's coach who was, um, you know, if you ask anybody around the building, he was a disaster when he was a receiver's coach in addition to special teams coordinator his final season in New England. And, you know, Matt Patricia, who I, I don't – I think Matt would do fine just with the offensive line. Um, I, you know, he played that – in, in in college, he's coached that a little bit in the pros. Um, you know, he has B- Billy Yates assisting him. I think that's fine. But what else is going to be on his plate? And is Belichick going to be sort of, you know, calling the plays? You know, it's it, it's it's a mess. It, it's you know, we're it, really the Patriots. You don't know how good they can be until we get some answers on the offensive side of the ball. And I don't know when we're going to get those answers. I think it's going to be an evolving thing that we see over the course of the season. And that's even before you get into, well, if Belichick's attention is now more on offense, what happens with the defense that has underachieved the last few years with Steve Belichick and Gerard Mayo? So there's there's a lot of questions about what's going on in New England, and it starts with what's going on with the offense. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> the, the thing that really scares me most is just Judge and Patricia. We've already heard a lot about, you know, the amount of time that Belichick would spend or Brady working on offense in his heyday. We've heard stories of that already. The things that just keep, you know, scratching in the back of my mind are, you know, John Mara walking up to a podium last year saying we did about just the worst possible job developing Daniel Jones. We did about as poor of a job as you could have done. And then you look back to stories of Patricia in his first year in Detroit where veterans are, popping champagne in the locker room that were impending free agency just because they knew they don't have to come back to Detroit anymore and run stairs of Matt Patricia. Like their coaching 
track records, at least since leaving New England, have been, you know, piss poor. It's been, it's been, you know, horror story after horror story with a lot of these guys. You know, how much, how much saving grace can Belichick really offer to these guys is one thing, but I don't know. I, I think one of the benefits of having Mac Jones as the guy that you've bet on is just the cerebral part of this game. The fact that he had, like, that was the biggest thing that was touted out of college, just the ability to kind of, like, understand and run an offense and implement it on his own. I, I, I think that really shows, you know, a veteran mind in a very, you know, young quarterback, and I think that that'll at least help smooth some things over. And I think also him, you know, guy looks like he's in great shape. It's it's the classic offseason story of shape of his life, but – you know, it's it's a far cry from the pudgy, you know, cigar pictures of him winning the national championship. I, I, I'm optimistic about him. It's the questions about the infrastructure surrounding him are the biggest issues. But I think at least, you know, Jones on his own, plus at least having like depth and a variety in the skill position group, I think is going to smooth some things over. And also, I know there's been two losses on the offensive line, but I, th- I still think they're probably going to be, you know, a top half of the league, if not a top 10 unit, still, it's still a very strong line. It's got everything going for him, but the system itself is, you know, maybe we'll start to see it unfold in training camp. Maybe we won't until preseason, but that's, you know, I, that really predicates just how well New England's going to do the rest of the year. And I think the, like the variance on it is pretty wide. Defensively, I think there's a lot of questions also. We really have their defense declining in large, you know, the loss of J.C. Jackson is really huge. And I think the first is cornerbacks, like who are going to be the top cornerbacks for this team? Uh, And the second is the interesting sort of change at linebacker where the veterans that have been there a long time are gone. And you write about this a lot in the chapter, the sort of going with smaller, faster guys, bringing in Mac Wilson and then getting guys back from injury like Raekwon McMillan who missed last year and Cameron McGrone and there's no more Dante Hightower and there's no more Jamie Collins, but those guys definitely seem to be falling off last year. I mean, you know, Dante Hightower is still very strong in the run game. It's a much more one-dimensional player than he once was, but, you know, it helped out New England a lot in the run game and just the front seven in general, but I th- New England's really leaning a lot on these young guys now. Uh, I mean, Jalen Mills and Terrence Mitchell will, you know, do their best in the secondary along with Malcolm uh, Butler, but for a decent amount of rumblings about Jack Jones being pretty heavily relied on in the New England secondary, you know, you still have Devin McCourty kind of orchestrating things back there. Adrian Phillips also played fantastically last year, at least very strong, uh, you know, the quarterbacks are going to be a very weak link, but they started to transition to a little bit more zone, started to play a little bit more nickel like and dime plus. They're starting to just use the all-encompassing aspect of, you know, D-backs in general, not just relying on the singular cornerback and J.C. Jackson. But, I mean, Jackson was fantastic. It's going to be really tough to replace his just singular presence and ability to kind of match up one-on-one with the best receiver on any single team. I think it's going to be an issue definitely against Buffalo, you know, top of the crop in, in uh, the AFC East. Those will be tough two matchups there. But the front seven, again, it's, you know, it's more of the same. Kyle Van Noy losing him off the edge. Now you're really relying on Josh Uche to perform alongside Matthew Judon. You're really calling on Jawan Bentley, who did actually step up in the COVID season, 
when Dante Hightower sat out for the year. Didn't play as great, but I also think bringing Hightower and Jamie Collins back into the fold and allowing Bentley to take a back seat. You know, I think a year of buffer in between a leadership role and a secondary role now back into a leadership role. I hope that those two years have, you know, maybe given him a little bit more wisdom at the position and just allowed him to better develop into a leader in that front seven. Uh, you know, they're placing a lot of faith in him to really spearhead that defense now. You know, if the questions on the offensive side of the ball are all scheme issues, now on the defense it's all personnel and asking a lot of these young guys to come in and step up. What are you thinking about the young guys, Greg? The, let's start with the young cornerbacks, Jack Jones and Marcus Jones. Are we actually going to see a good amount of these guys? Well, I think it, based off of offseason practices, um, we'll see a lot of Jack Jones. Um, he was out there a lot. Um, you know, I was surprised that Terrence Mitchell was almost a day one starter, you know, a journeyman guy in 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 Houston, um, Jalen Mills will be out there. And I think, you know, Jonathan Jones is coming back from um, injury. I thought I, I think he's always been one of the the top slot cornerbacks, which is one of the toughest jobs in, in football. Um, you know, I think it'll be I think it'll be Jack Jones versus Terrence Mitchell versus Malcolm Butler uh, as far as the, um, you know, one of the top cornerback roles. I don't think they they obviously don't have a number one. Uh, I think Jack has the most upside. Marcus Jones, I don't know, he's been battling an injury. wasn't out there much in OTAs. Uh, and, you know, I, I agree with Greg Cosell, who I've, you know, talked to after the draft, and he sees him more as a honey badger type guy. I think he's more of a successor in the secondary, which they're already loaded with safety. So I don't know where he plays outside of, you know, getting into dime and, and doing th things with personnel. Now, that gets you into – can they even get to that? And that's been a problem for that defense the last couple of years where ever since Vince Wilfork went to Houston, they've been weak in the middle and they can't stop the run well enough. Devon Godchow, they put a lot of money into him. I don't think he was all that good last year. They didn't do it. They didn't even draft a nose tackle this year to give them an option. So it's all on Godchow again to do a better job. And I think you're right to single out Uche. I think, you know, you look at pass rush and coverage you know, if your coverage is a little bit weak, you can deal with that if your pass rush is better. And a guy like Chase Winovich never worked out. They never really, you know, Judon really didn't have a running mate. I think they're pegging Josh Uche for that role. Uh, Steve Belichick and Bill Belichick both called him one of the biggest puzzle pieces in this defense in the offseason. And I think they're right. I mean, I do think they have some upside. They just got to they gotta let some of these kids play. And that's been one of my main criticisms, especially last year. And, you know, even going back a couple of years, the Cam Newton year, just let the kids play so you can see what they're capable of. I do think Uche is capable of more. It's just they're, they don't like to trust youngsters very much. But now I think they've gotten in their, uh, into a situation where they have no choice. They have to, especially with the cap situation and their lack of good drafting and you know things like that. Now they have to play the kids. And I think Uche is the guy who could stand up and do, do a good job for them. Greg, if I can ask, what are your thoughts on Christian Barmore then? Because, I mean, he was really yep. fantastic – as an interior pass rusher, you know, eighth in the league among interior defensive linemen and pressures. How do you think he starts to – do you think they start to fold him more into the run game coverage? Do you think they start to use him more on three downs? How do you think they start to implement him more in rotation with Godcha? Yeah, it's a good question, um, Kale, and, and you're absolutely right. He was sensational um, as a rookie, you know, one of the best – 
interior lineman rookie seasons uh, any Patriot has ever had. I mean, you go back to even when Vince Wilfork was, I think, a, a first-round pick in the lower half of the first round. He didn't play a whole lot as a rookie. Of course, you know, they, they were pretty good back then. But I think, you know, they tried him a little bit to give him some first and second down roles last year. He didn't do a great job with it. I think that's going to be one of the things that I watch a lot in training camp and in the preseason. I think they would like to see him uh, add that to his repertoire and be able to, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, maybe against some lighter offensive lines that, that he plays all, all three downs. Uh, I think that'll be a work in progress and he's going to need to prove himself. I think they'd like to give him the opportunity, but I still think for now, I think they, they like just, you know, his sub rusher role, you know, he was, it was Judon in pressures and then Barmore was next and then a humongous drop off after that. So, they need all of that stuff uh, and more if they're going to be better on defense this year. Another young guy to add to the list of guys who need to step up. Yep. Yeah, but one that I think I have a little bit more faith in, like I think sure. a lot of people are believers in Barmore as opposed to Uche or knowing what you're going to get out of Jack Jones as a rookie or uh, Mac Wilson coming over from Cleveland. It's it's. I think Barmore is leads the young guys. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yep. So our, our overall projections for the Patriots are just a little bit above 500. So we definitely have them declining on both offense and defense. They were really good in our numbers last year, in part because they had a couple of very fluky, gigantic wins over Cleveland and Tennessee. Well, I mean, over Jacksonville, too. But, you know, the Jacksonville one gets adjust, you know, opponent adjusted. But mm. it was colossal. And then the Cleveland and Tennessee wins were just huge. And then the rest of the time they were, you know, kind of good, but obviously had uh, a little bit of trouble in Buffalo when the weather didn't participate for them. So they end up coming out uh, a little bit above average, making the playoffs in 45% of the simulations. The special team should be a help because it should bounce back from last year. That's where Marcus Jones, if he's healthy, plays a role because he's a really good return man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the, uh, the nugget I had on Jones was he had a, uh, kick return, punt return, pick six, and receiving touchdown in college. I mean, if you're talking about do it all guys, Marcus Jones is up there. Yeah, I had them when I when I went through their schedule when it came out. I had them at nine and eight. Uh, so you know, similar to you guys, and and uh, I, you know, I I think you're right about last year. I mean, I remember after the Tennessee game, you know, I wrote a column that said basically I have more questions than answers after this team after this game, and I I just wanted to. My biggest concern about the team, and it came to fruition with Buffalo, you know, when they go up against a team with a good quarterback and can spread the Patriots out with multiple weapons, how are they going to hold up? And they didn't do that very well um, down the stretch. And, you know, do I think they have a chance to be a little bit better this year? Yeah, I do. I, I don't I don't hate their pieces in the secondary as much as uh, some people. I have probably more concerns about the offensive line then a lot of people relying on Trent Brown to stay healthy and play left tackle is a big risk. Isaiah Wynn, is he around? Is he going to play right tackle? How's he going to do? Cole Strange, was he overdrafted? Is he really ready to be a good starter at left guard as a rookie? And Michael Wenu, uh, you know, look, the kids had his moments, but <laughs> let's not ignore the fact that they tried him at guard last year and he lost his job to Ted Karras. And so – you know, there are a lot of questions on that offensive line, and they're going to need that to be a lot better, you know, to set up Mac Jones to have you know, the ability to have success. So, uh, I, you know, I do like 
some of what they're doing, and I have some optimism, but, man, a lot of things need to go right for this team. Yeah. I think they're more likely to be – they're going to be in the hunt for the sixth and seventh seeds till the end. But, I mean, they're not – you know, I realize that our projections are all closer to 500 than usual this year, but I don't feel like this team can really challenge Buffalo. Yeah. Not unless there's, a, like, a scat of injuries for the Bills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it. You know, the median's pretty high, but they're really missing just those you know, like wide receiver one on offense, uh, a guy who could really break plays off in the run game, a top cornerback. Like it, just the the pieces you think about when you think of a you know an upper echelon team that you know are completely absent from this Patriots roster, and I think it's really you know, it's it's. I think New England's just kind of banking on, you know, with Belichick, this team can be greater than the sum of its parts. And uh, you're banking a lot on scheme. There's enough question marks there already. And a 70-year-old coach. Yeah, that too. <laughs> uh, Greg Bedard's site, for those who want to follow him more, is bostonsportsjournal.com. It's everything about Boston sports, all kinds of really in-depth coverage, not just all the Patriots coverage that you want, but Red Sox, Celtics, Bruins, Check out his site, please, bostonsportsjournal.com. Greg, thank you so much for joining us to talk about the Patriots. Really appreciate it. Anytime. I, uh, you know, Aaron, you know, I've been a loyal reader of Football Outsiders for, what, two decades now, I think, you know, since I think I was at the Palm Beach Post and covering the Dolphins. So uh, I always look for you're the you're the one book and the one season preview that I make sure to devour uh, as soon as I get it. So thanks for all the work you guys do. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. Appreciate the endorsement. All right. Kale and I are going to move on now and talk about the other team for today, the other team that Kale covered in the book, and that is the New York Jets. Uh, The Jets are uh, not as good as the other teams in the AFC East. Uh, They could be if everything goes right for them. I feel like almost every unit on the Jets, you're like, well, there's potential here. It could go right. And you like the coaching staff, but then when you talk about the overall New York Jets projection, it's near the bottom of the league. Yeah, because I think the whole aspect of that is just you got like there's a lot of optimism, and I think there's there's some kind of sicko eternal optimism with Jets fans. There's always some kind of inkling that this is the year, but you know, you got to lean back on precedent, which is why it's, you know, why they're so far back in our rankings. But when you just look at it on paper, especially with the young talent that they've brought in, you're like, maybe this can work. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. Where, where do you want to start? Because I think there's, a, the, you know, uh, the young, the draft class that they just had and the free agent talent that they brought in this year, coupled with, what they already had existing on the roster. There's a lot of different ways to go with this. I, I think the offense is really interesting. I'm really excited to look into the secondary more as training camp yeah. goes on. Where do you want to start? I mean, first of all, I'm going to invite readers and listeners and watchers. If you're watching us live right now on YouTube or Twitch, please bring on your questions about either the Patriots or the Jets. Uh, you know, you can tell us what you want to talk about with this team, but um it's interesting because you think about like telling the story of a team turning it around 
Uh, I feel like the story of the Jets are a surprise playoff team is a much easier story to tell than the Atlanta Falcons are a surprise playoff team or even the New York Giants are a surprise playoff team. And I think you start with the quarterback because it feels like they're strong receivers. It feels like the offensive line is a little underrated. Uh, you've got our number one running back prospect in Brees Hall and a talented backup in Michael Carter. A lot of it comes down to just can Zach Wilson take a massive step forward because he was bad last year. It was it was really rough to see, but I think the reason that the Jets are more believable as a playoff hopeful than the teams you mentioned is just because of how high the upside is for Zach Wilson. And we start like the biggest thing that stuck out to me is I'm not as big of a guy who follows college. So I was only really kind of cursory following the Jets or the uh, prospects coming into the season. I do like minor film labs here and there. But the highlight packages you see from Zach Wilson are 60-yard bombs, throws on the run, evasions of pressure, just mind-blowing, you know, plays that evoke Mahomes and modern Josh Allen or later in his career, Josh Allen. What you see at the you know, what you see at the beginning of the year is him just trying to do that over and over and over and over again to no avail. He doesn't like, he didn't know when to throw it away. He didn't know when to chuck down a uh, check down. It's, it's constantly extending plays. The biggest eye opening one for me was just that Patriots game. That first Patriots game in week two, <laughs> a big thunder here. Uh, the four straight interceptions for Wilson at that game, I thought maybe five, but just, Plays where he's trying to save things out of structure, throw it up, and and Devin McCourty or J.C. Jackson are just sitting right under it. And there's a couple of the later ones. There's not a Jets receiver within three, four yards of it. It's just Zach Wilson trying to resurrect plays. The Mike White game is where you really start to see, like, oh, this is an offense that Mike White is running exclusively on checkdowns, and you're able to beat the Bengals. You know, Then you see Bill sitting lower on routes, Mike White unable to do anything about that, nothing underneath. Zach Wilson really, I think, kind of learned from that. He started to improve it in the back half of the year. But by then, you know, he's thrown to Braxton Berrios as his lead receiver. You but can't do that. Way better weapons for this year with Garrett Wilson there. Absolutely. And Corey Davis healthier. And Elijah Moore with another year of, of experience. Garrett Wilson kind of throws a win-win across the board for the Jets. Wilson's able to play inside and out, so he – if you want to kick more to the slot where he played more in college, you can. Wilson can also play slot and bump more to the outside. If Corey Davis is actually playing up to his contract, then Wilson, you know, acts as sort of a great third guy potentially or a great first guy, depending on how you order it. But if Davis can't get up to snuff, then Wilson kind of bumps him down the depth chart. And now, you, like, Corey Davis can play the role of a great third receiver. It's the, the versatility that he's able to provide is really impressive. I think it opens up a lot. It also makes me a lot more optimistic about Berrios. Like the, you know, sort of the tail end comeback for him. He's done it two years in a row now where he stepped up for players and in injury. And letting Jamison Crowder walk, I think they at least have some kind of faith in him. Yeah. I want to get to the defense just because Thor Dane asked, how on earth? The Jets jumped to a top 10 defensive projection. And I will fully admit that when I did our projections, I think I emailed everyone and was like, by the way, here's one of the weird ones. 
Uh, the Jets had one of the worst defenses in the league last year. There's two stats in particular that the jet that the defensive projection system really sees as strongly regressing to the mean. And if I remember correctly, the Jets were really bad in both of them last year. And that is uh, defense against short yardage runs and takeaway per drive on defense. And then you add to that all the talent that they've added on defense. First of all, Sauce Gardner and Jermaine Johnson, the two first round picks. And then getting Carl Lawson back from injury that cost him all of last year. And uh, LaMarcus Joyner back from injury that cost him all of last year. And DJ Reed and Jordan Whitehead. This is a lot of new and healthier and then younger. Like there's all kinds of interesting talent now in the defense that wasn't there last year. And this doesn't go into the projection system, but I think anecdotally, we know that Sala ran a good defense in San Francisco. I think, you know, hey, Robert Sala turns this defense around in his second year is a story you can tell. Yeah, I mean, Brian told it in the 2021 Almanac chapter when he was writing up the Jets. Sala didn't start out fantastically in San Francisco when he was a defensive coordinator. That... I've got a squall going on outside. I'm sorry. That <laughs> secondary ranked bottom 10 in the league the first two years before kind of introducing the cover two system into San Francisco. And then they jump up to a top 10 unit. I also think a lot of the secondary issues end up coming from just how young they were. Uh, you know, I, I dropped the, the Jets started over 6,000 snaps from rookies, uh, second most in the league. A lot of that outside of Zach Wilson – and Elijah Vera Tucker, most of the rest of those came from the secondary. And guys like Michael Carter, the cornerback, uh, Ashton Davis, the safety, I believe, as well, uh, really relying on uh, Bryce Hall to play as a second-year corner. They had, you know, I think four of the top six snap getters for the Jets were either first- or second-year players. And now you're relying on a guy like Sauce Gardner coming out as a rookie but he also has a proven track record. Everyone else for the Jets were day three young picks. This is now a lead guy who can really come in. He, you know, he picked number one on his jersey for a reason. He's, you know, kind of Babe Ruth calling a shot there. I believe he's he the, the straw be, that stirs the drink. Exactly. He's really got the talent to be kind of a lead guy. And I'm pretty excited about G, DJ Reed and even Jordan Whitehead. Just the veteran presence that they're able to bring in, you know, Whitehead playing alongside LaMarcus Joyner, I think is going to be a lot stronger of a safety group going forward. I think DJ Reed, who is a solid veteran from his early days, is just going to be able to mesh in really well and, you know, help out these guys. But those two, Reed and Gardner, immediately jump to the top two of the depth chart, and then everyone else that was a starter last year falls below. So now they go from a really young, really weak team to a surprisingly – Deep question mark? Right. Quarterback unit? I, I think Thordane has a point where he says that he's flashing back to the Patriots game where they just abused the Jets' defensive line by running the ball. All the improvements we're talking about here, other than just like regression to the mean on defense against short yardage, the player improvements are all pass guys, right? I mean, you know, I guess Jordan Whitehead is a strong safety, so maybe he's a little bit of a run guy, but really he's a pass guy. 
DJ Reed, pass guy. Sauce Gardner, pass guy. Jermaine Johnson and Carl Lawson, pass rush. So, yeah, their run defense is still going to be a problem. I think where we see the improvement significantly is in the pass defense. Oh, and that's where they needed by far the most improvement. There's dead last in defensive pass, TVOA. But I like the strengths of, you know, that front four of John Franklin Myers, Quinn and Williams, uh, Sheldon Rankins, Carl It should Lawson. be better than it was last year. Like, it should – those players should be better than they were last year. Quinn and Williams is, is good. It should be better than they were last year. Uh-oh, I think our – did our storm just take out Kale? All right, well, we wait to see if Kale comes back. I'll just respond to Ripley. Rivka board about it's funny that we're so much higher on the Jets defense because the offense has so much more talent. I think that when you look at the raw talent, it does seem like the offense should have more talent, but so much is about the quarterback. And I think that our systems don't see a likely gigantic improvement from Wilson. Like is the possibility there? Yes. Is it likely no, and so that's why our offensive projection is so much lower than what looks like, I'll admit, like a, a weird-looking high defensive projection. So um, I don't know if we're going to get Kale back, so I think I'm actually going to sign off for today uh, from talking about the Jets, and um, Thank you all for watching. Thank you all for watching the show. If you're watching live on YouTube or on Twitch, thank you all for listening afterwards on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. Um, Football Outsiders, read the site. Football lives here. Football Outsiders Almanac 2022 out now. If you don't have a copy, get yourself a copy. Uh, you get a free copy with an FO Plus subscription, and those subscriptions are 20% off until the end of the month. Hey, there's Kale just in time for me to sign off. Do you have a- any other words you'd like to say about the uh, I sign off. I think the storms hit you down. It just it just knocked out my power for a second, knocked out my internet. The all the last thing you gotta say about Jets, it really Wilson. Uh that you know, if they can maximize on his ceiling, allowing like that floor to rise, uh, just being able to hit those checkdowns, like attacking, I think it makes a world of difference for this offense. Side note, we didn't even mention the running game. The running backs, uh, Brees Hall, Michael Carter, Ty Johnson was top 10 uh, among running backs. They now bring back a pretty versatile group. Uh, with Brees Hall, our top guy coming out of the draft. You know, I don't think success for this Jets more than six wins, seven wins, but in kind of upside before head start to roll there. Because they have on paper, it's still a young team, but, you know, it's at least it's like a competent, which – they haven't always been able to say. Yeah. Nick Foster says in the comments, it's not saying it's going to happen, but they do have every indicator of a bad team that makes a massive jump. And I would agree with that. There are a lot of indicators here. And by the way, I would include the quarterback in that because while we don't think he's very good based on his rookie season and the fact that he didn't play a very hard schedule in college, 
the fact is you're talking about a number two overall pick here. The potential is still good. So the story you can tell about the Jets turning it around, like I said, it's an easier story to tell than a lot of the other teams at the bottom of our projection. Okay, that does it for the show. Uh, Football Outsiders Almanac 2022 preview. Join us next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern. I believe that next Tuesday we are doing the Green Bay Packers and the Chicago Bears with Derek Klassen and our special guest Aaron Nagler from Cheesehead TV. And then next Thursday we'll be doing the Minnesota Vikings and the Detroit Lions with Derek and Matthew Collar from uh, Purple Something. I'm sorry, I'm not remembering the name of Matthew's website, but it's a Vikings website and he'll be covering the Vikings with us. Okay, that does it for today's show. For Kale and his storm in New York, uh, thank you all so much for watching and listening. We'll be back uh, next Tuesday, 1 p.m. Eastern for Football Outsiders. I'm Aaron Schatz. So long. Bye.